0: One little quick announcement. I want to make sure you're you're, you're prepared for this. Is uh, this coming Thursday? There is no services because it's called Thanksgiving. So spend the time with your families, with your friends. If you don't have friends and you don't have family, call us. We will find friends. We will find family because we want to be that church for you as well as we celebrate this season of Thanksgiving. Now, as we kick off, you know, this day, I, I just want to remind you what I believe all of us realize. And that is we all admire and appreciate greatness. if you ever just, you know, watch TV or connect with people? Whenever you see someone just truly excel at something, it's just something to behold. It's something to admire. It's something to appreciate, whether it's a Christian thing or whether it's just something in the world. Like, for example, in sports, uh, a guy by the name of uh, Usain Bolt, you know, what comes to mind, like the fastest man who's ever lived, You're just like, this is just crazy to see the success that took place at these previous Olympics. If you're in business and innovation, you know, we look at a guy by the name of Steve Jobs, you know, who completely changed the way that we interface and interact with the world through these cellular devices called the iPhone, and how even other companies kind of copied or mimicked that kind of technology. Uh, or the people who have overcome adversity and who have had an added impact in many different spheres of her life, and that would be Oprah Winfrey. You know, you've just seen, you know, just the impact that she has had on society. Whether you agree with her or not, we cannot deny the greatness and the impact that she, that Steve Jobs and Usain Bolt have had. The thing that when it comes is all of us love to watch, and we love to see people to succeed, and we want that for our own lives, and yet, although we want and see the results of wins and success, we oftentimes ignore the process and the discipline it actually takes to be a success. We like the end result, but we don't actually like what it takes to actually get to the end result. Like, for example, how many of you have ever heard of what's called the 10,000-hour rule? Raise your hand if you've ever heard that. Put it in the chat if you've ever heard that as well. This thing was popularized by a guy by the name of Malcolm Gladwell in his blockbuster book, Outliers. As Gladwell points out, the rule goes something like this. The key to achieving true expertise in any skill is simply a matter of practicing, albeit in the correct way. For at least 10,000 hours. If you were to use that on a general work week, it's like 10,000 hours or 10 years. And he uses example, like if you want to be proficient at the violin, it would take 10,000 correct hours of practicing to find yourself a success. But if you want to be great, this rule actually proves itself true. If you want to be a great parent, it's going to take about 10,000 hours. Nobody is a great parent to start with, no matter how many books that you read, how many examples you have. If you want a great marriage, if you want a great business, if you want to be great at video games, just ask my son. Ten thousand hours, you know, is what actually you know where somebody becomes great at something. Uh, the reason I say that is because um, on July thirty-first of two thousand and thirteen, at approximately one p.m. at a cabin in Calder, Idaho, near Saint Mary's. I was involved in an ATV accident that actually almost took my life. In fact, uh, from that accident, I broke my scapula, twisted my right knee, severed nerves, and had over 70 large stitches that were attached to my leg. Without going into detail, you know, it took me almost a year of physical therapy to get back to 89%. At least, that's what they tell me. It's not 90, I'm like, why not 90? You know, But 89%, I'm just like, just round up. You know, 89% use and mobility of my right leg, which is, in, 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 which is true to even this day. Now, I was called by God to come here in 2015, and in 2016, Eric Svensson, who is our worship leader who plays the keyboards, for those of you guys who are not aware of him, invited me to go for a swim. Now, you need to understand, um, I hadn't swam since I was in high school. I can't remember the time that I just went swimming, besides the the times where you go boating, you know, or something like that, but actually like the swim laps. You know, uh, he started, at that point, he started to get me into what's called a triathlon. He suckered me in, because as I began to swim... Him and his wonderfully lovely wife, Calico, decided to say, hey, you're pretty good at swimming. You should think about biking. And I'm like, well, I used to bike as a kid as well. I could probably, you know, bike, you know, as well. And then they, then they fooled me because they knew I hated running, that a triathlon means three. And there's actually three events. And the last one is the worst of all actually called running. And so I reluctantly agreed to what they call a sprint try. A sprint try involves an 800-meter swim, anywhere between 400 and 800 meters, a 12-mile bike ride finished by a three-mile run. Now, I reluctantly agreed and went on a journey of what would be called training, to be able to do things that I had not done in years. And I joined with Eric, who then introduced me to Kenny, um, who was just a mean person in general. Because he would just tell me to callous my mind every time I went through something that I didn't like at all. Now for me, you need to understand, what was most nerve-wracking is I didn't know how my leg would hold up which is the reason why I hesitated continuing to do this event. Now, I knew I could get through the swim and I knew I could get through the bike because there is less pressure and pain on the leg, but when it came to the run, or shall I say, in my case, a slog, uh, it was much more painful and difficult. After about you know two miles, I literally have to think about running because my, my leg just doesn't work naturally in some of those instances. But I can tell you, that uh, uh, when the gun went off, or the proverbial, you know, you jump into the water, the adrenaline kicked in, and you swam, and you get back out, and there's all of these friends and family who are cheering, who are encouraging, and you jump on this bike, you know, which attaches to your legs, which is weird anyway, you know, almost fell off trying to get on and on, you know, as, as you go these 12 miles, and you come back, and you start to run And you get to mile one, and you get to mile two, you know, and for me, it's always demoralizing only because my strongest event is the swim. So I get out of a swim feeling so good and confident, and then all I do is spend the rest of the race being passed up by everybody who's also in the race until I get to the run. And when the mom with the baby stroller passes, that's when it gets really embarrassing, you know, but I wasn't going to give up. And so I came around the final turn, and it was in Hayden Lake, was my first try, and I'll never forget you know, seeing all of these friends and family from this church and my wife and my kids with signs and just screaming and going crazy. And for a non-emotional person, I remember crossing the finish line and falling into my wife's arms and beginning to sob like a baby. And I'm like, I gotta, I gotta control myself. I don't know what kind of allergies I'm facing, you know, or what's going on. But I just was overcome with emotion because I didn't believe, I didn't know that I could do it. But because of training, because of encouragement, because of words that were given to me on a regular basis, I was able to accomplish something I had never planned nor thought I ever desired to plan in my life. Which then propelled me to listen to these two idiots, you know, which called me to be a part of what's called a half Ironman, or a 70.3, which where you do 1.2 mile swim, a 56 mile bike, followed by a, over a three mile slog. Once again, slog is probably the best way to refer to that. And so at the end of June of 2019, in the same emotion and vein, you come down Sherman into Coeur d'Alene and there to greet, were friends and family, and then we got a chance to have a picture at the end where Eric and I stood side by side and said, what an amazing journey, never to be repeated again, until they gifted me and said they signed me up for this next June. So you can pray for me as, uh, as I go on this Terrible journey. I think they noticed that I had some COVID weight and it's their way of loving me. So, you know, whatever that means. But it reminds me of what we're talking about as we talk about word to the wise, as we look at the importance of the journey that you and I have in what's called this life, that this life has a beginning, that there's a middle that we're living in and that there's a finish line that we're supposed to cross. And how do we get through this journey we call life? It takes training. It takes perseverance. It takes equipping, and we get it from his word. His word is a guide. It leads and directs us. In fact, in 1 Timothy 4.8, it reminds us, especially for those of you CrossFit freaks, physical training is good. But training for godliness is much better. I just want to remind those of you who are fitness freaks. Much better, promising benefits in this life, but also in the life to come. So the question becomes, what is the goal in which you're training to succeed at? See, if you have a goal, it's much easier to actually accomplish that goal and know what training it's actually going to take in order to accomplish that goal. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, our goal is simply this. To follow Jesus and to help others to do the same, to follow him. See, Jesus says in Matthew four nineteen, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The very definition is that we're called to follow Jesus, to be created in the image of Jesus by his power and to be on mission for Jesus. That He gives us this clear directive and way so that we can experience the abundant life that he's called us to live, that I've come that you might have life and experience it to its full, so that we can get to the end of the race, because this is what gets us through, but it gets to the end of the race where we actually die, and we don't die. We cross the finish line into actually what's called eternity, a place called heaven, But heaven is actually not the end goal. If heaven was the goal, then you and I would receive Christ and we would go to heaven. But there's a process that God wants to go through. The journey is just as important, if not more, than the actual destination. And I can tell you as somebody who has trained is that the journey was much more fun and exhilarating than it actually was to actually complete and compete in the race. There's something about the journey that's so important as followers of him. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, the Apostle Paul writes this. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. See, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize, So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. What he's saying is my goal is to be like Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to help other people to be like Jesus. It's not just helping other people to be like Jesus. It's me as well. Now, training and being equipped by God's word is what will accomplish this goal for us. 2 Timothy 3 reminds us as the theme of this, of this whole series that we're in. All scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. Don't miss this. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. There is a huge difference between training and trying. Okay, I tried to go for a run. And it was about 100 meters, and I'm like, done. But I tried. Training is when you get one of those apps, when you get a fellow person who's going to help keep you accountable, and you follow what's called a couch to 5K run. And you follow the training, whether you feel like it or not, until the end of completion. And they start you on the couch until you actually complete it. There's a huge difference between training and trying. Motivation is one of the keys to Training. Finding your motivation is actually key. So I was looking, you know, online, I'm like, what is some motivation that people look to when it comes to this life, whether they're Christians or not? What's some motivation? And so here's what I found that may be motivating for you.
1: Do it. Just do it. Don't let your dreams be dreams. Yesterday you said tomorrow, so just do it. Make your dreams come true. Just do it Some people dream of success while you're gonna wake up and work hard at it. Nothing is impossible You should get to the point where anyone else would quit and you're not gonna stop there No, what are you waiting for? Do it! Just do it, yes you can, just do it. If you're tired of starting over, stop giving up.
0: But we're looking for motivation in life on a regular basis and we need to laugh sometimes as it comes to us or through us, but how can we train, how can we get this motivation, how can we be equipped to fulfill the goals that we have in Jesus? And so I want to walk you through what this would look like in the brief time that we have left. The first is we have to agree to commit to a great coach and team. And so spiritually, that means to commit to making Jesus the coach and the church family, your team, that we need both and in order to succeed. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 19, it says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. We have to come to a point where we surrender to Jesus and say, you know what, I don't know exactly what this This is going to look like a head, but I'm going to commit myself to you. I'm going to say your will, your way. And I'm going to commit myself to journeying your will and your way, not by myself, because you never designed and created it to be me and God, but you created it to be we and God, and I'm going to journey with other people. The second thing that we've got to make sure that we do is to listen and learn from the coach. And spiritually, what that means is know God's word. Do we know his word? Do we know the instructions so that we can have the kind of opportunity to succeed in life, to experience what he has for you and what he has for me? We find it through his word. Psalms 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path, which is what Trevor spent most of the time talking about last week. Didn't Trevor do a great job? You know, by the way, I thought Trevor does a great, great job. Trevor, thank you. Um, I, I had somebody come to my dad, who also was a pastor, and asked him, why do I need to come to church or spend time in God's word on a daily basis? I don't feel like I remember anything. Why do I need to do this if I don't remember any of it? So my dad you know, just astutely asked this man a follow-up question. Can I ask you, what was it that you ate yesterday for lunch? How about two weeks ago? How about two months or two years ago? And he's like, well, of course not. I can't remember that. And he looked at him and he said, but you know you ate and got fed, didn't you? See, the importance is man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And when we spend time in God's word, it begins to shape us and it reveals things to us in a very powerful, powerful way. It equips us for what we're going to face in life. When you go through training, there's going to be temptation, there's going to be derailment, there's going to be situations in life. How are you supposed to know what it is that you're supposed to do and when you're supposed to do it? You find out by God's word. It guides us through this thing that we call life. In fact, um, there's a guy in our church, you know, Tyler Baxter who has spent some significant time in God's word as part of the discipline. And I want you to hear his story and why this is so important in his life now.
1: I grew up agnostic so I believed in a higher power but did not actually recognize that there was a one true God. Fast forward and I'm 19 years old and my worldview was crumbling because I expected and anticipated to be a you know professional baseball player and that didn't pan out and I thought well I'm coming to the end of myself. You know I had someone in college that really just latched on me and Helped me go through that journey of actually accepting Christ as my Lord and Savior. And then I had a mentor, you know, Larry Phelps, who came alongside, joined a men's group of his. And when I graduated from physical therapy school, the gift was the Bible in a year. He hadn't actually read through it himself, and so I actually challenged him and said, hey, we're gonna start doing this together. And so since then, he's been doing the same thing for the past you know, 12 years. Being in the Word every day has helped me recognize that God does give a lot of grace, but at the same time, he does want us to pursue him. When they say that the Word is active and living and sharp, and a double-edged sword, it's, it's legit, because it's every year, it's exciting to start fresh, and every day is new. Ultimately, what gives me peace and rest in the midst of a storm is my relationship with God, and to have that scripture that will come via the Holy Spirit, you know, it's there because I've been reading it. When our second daughter Faith was born, we could tell something was not quite right the way that she was struggling a little bit. And so about 12 hours later, I had to hand her to the nurse to go to the NICU. And then my wife, she was also crashing all within like five minutes. And my world in a sense was crashing. And I broke away because I knew I was gonna lose it. And I did, I lost it. I was sobbing, weeping. I don't really cry. I'm someone that can kind of keep my emotions under control. In John, it just says two words, Jesus wept, having that verse in my mind. It was just like, it's okay. It's okay for you to totally be melting down right now. When you read about these men and women of the Old Testament and even New Testament, Moses was 80 when he started his mission, 40 years in the desert. Joshua, 80 when he leads the Israelites into the promised land over the Jordan. Caleb, 80, and they're all saying, I'm just as vigorous as I ever was. And the only way they could do that is if they trained up. It's okay to be in a wilderness. You're going to be ready when you have the experience when the God calls you to do it. I hope you heard what he
0: said. See, he understands what God's word has to say when it comes to 2 Timothy, that God's word equips us for the journey and the training that we're going through. It equips us. How do you know what to face when life faces you? You have an opportunity, if you're in his word on a regular basis, to know what to do, how to get through, because God's word is alive and it guides and it leads and it directs. In addition... You know, to knowing God's word, we have to do what the coach says, which means we need to apply God's word. We need to know it, but we've got to apply it. John 14, 15, Jesus tells his disciples, if you love me, obey my commandments. In fact, if you want to know what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus that's going to be transformed into his image, then the formula is simple and the formula is this. Knowledge plus application is what leads to transformation. If you want a transformation in your life, it starts with knowledge, and then it's got to be carried from your head to our heart to our hands. We've got to apply what God's word tells us. Now, here's what we know, and Tyler just talked about that. Our true foundation is revealed by storms in life, isn't it? When you go through a storm, like we have had here, these wind storms, you find out the foundation of trees around you. You find out the foundation of your house. You know, you find out the foundation of buildings. You find out the foundations of landscapes. You find out the foundations of so many things. But you never know your foundation until you go through storms in life. And it's the same thing when it comes to God's word. In fact, if you think about other areas of your life, your marriage, you don't know how strong your marriage is until you go through Storms in your marriage. You don't know what that foundation is laid upon. You don't know your philosophy of parenting and the foundation you have until you actually go through storms. Your business foundation is only revealed when you go through hard times. And it's the same with our faith. See, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus has just finished what's the most famous sermon that he ever preached called the Sermon on the Mount. And as he finishes the sermon with everything he's talked about in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, he finishes with these words, therefore, basically everything that I've just said in these last couple chapters, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. See, the rain came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. The only difference between the first and second person is both heard the words of God. They had the knowledge of God, but only one applied it. And that's what created the foundation in that person's life. And so as we go on this journey, the word of God is so impactful in our lives, but it becomes way more impactful because it gives us the pathway to life as we apply it into our real lives. And isn't that what we have seen, or at least I have seen, in America these last two years? The storm, albeit historically, is very little compared to the storms of the centuries and cultures that have gone by. But for us who have lived in these last 30, 40 years, it is quite a large storm that we have faced. But what it has revealed to me is where my faith truly is at. And I think it's revealed it to you as well. And I know it's revealed to other people, because all of a sudden, when you go through the storms, you realize, what are you going to cling to in the storm? Am I going to cling to the political powers? Am I going to cling to my health or the health agencies? Am I going to cling to the news? Am I going to cling to my finances? What am I clinging to in the midst of the storm? That's when I find what my foundation is. And we have been exposed in certain cases, if we are to be honest, about what our foundation truly is in. We only find out when it comes to storms. And what God says is, please have your life, have your foundation be built upon me. And how do you have Jesus be the foundation? Knowing his word and applying his word. And then we see that we've got to be coachable. So if we're on his team and we're knowing his word and we're applying his word, we got to be coachable in the process. Which, biblically, what that means is to admit and get rid of sin according to his word. These are the things that trip us up in life. These are the mistakes. These are the the failures that we have on a regular basis. Hebrews chapter 11 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has for us. And we do that by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Notice he said, what God's word says when it comes to this life, is we keep our eyes on Jesus, and our part is to actually try to remove the sin, to admit it to God. And we talked about this just a couple weeks ago when we looked at rebuking and discipline and correction. James chapter one says it this way. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word the word that God has planted in your hearts, for it is the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, we're only fooling ourselves. And as we go on this journey, where we've got our coach which is Jesus. And we've got our family members, which are accountability partners as we're walking through this journey called faith. We have the church that's guiding us along. We have God's grace. We got his mercy. We have his word that is actually pointing us to the path and it's equipping us and it's preparing us. And then we're applying God's word and we're becoming the people and living the abundant life that he wants you to live on this side of eternity to experience the life that only he can provide. And we're accepting his coaching. We're accepting his rebuke. We're accepting his correction because we want to experience success in this life. And then through it all, we celebrate and encourage each other along the way. We've got to do that. We've got to celebrate and encourage each other more and more. In fact, that's what we're going to be talking about next week. Jay's going to bring an amazing word of God about this passage, Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how may we spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some in their habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Whether it's your day to meet Jesus or Jesus returns, are you ready? Are we ready for what's to come? This life is not the end. We are preparing and we're walking through this life for ushering in the finish line, which is in the life to come. Ed Surge is a researcher who actually talked with the co-author of the 10,000-hour study I mentioned at the, begin, at the beginning that Gladwell actually put out. His co-author is a guy by the name of Ander Erickson, who's a professor at the psychology at Florida State University. As it turns out, what he says is that there was one other important variable that Gladwell doesn't focus on when it comes to actually being a success by applying the 10,000 hours. He says the one aspect that was left out of Gladwell's book and finding is this. How good a student's teacher is. How good a student's teacher is. Erickson's research suggests that someone could practice for thousands of hours and still not be a master performer in anything that they endeavor. They could actually be outplayed, like in the violin, by someone who practiced less, but had a teacher who showed them just what to focus on at a key moment in their practice regimen. Here's what I discovered this week. The followers of Jesus, his earliest disciples, followed him for three years if they followed Jesus and lived with Jesus and talked with Jesus for nine to 10 hours a day with the greatest teacher who ever lived, it would literally be 10,000 hours. They could become masters at following Jesus. So what about you? And what about me? Will you spend time in God's word so that you too can be equipped and can be trained for the life that he has prepared for you. There's effort that's going to happen on our part, allowing God to do his part as we journey through this life. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for this day and this opportunity. I pray that you would just lead and guide. Father, just as we know that busyness, distractions, priority can take the place Of your word in our lives. Father, we know that social media and news stories and and other forms of information can just distract us and cause us to doubt. And I pray, Father, that we would be grounded in you. That by being trained by your word, it would help us in our marriages, in our parenting, in our relationships, in our businesses, in our finances in our health and our journey forward to truly experience the life that you've called us to live and being a follower who also helps others find and follow you. We love you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.